I've got a special Ask a Pro episode to share today as we focus on heading up to Alaska. Our pro today is Adam from Fishhound Expeditions. Adam is here for a short kickoff episode as we prepare to get ready for fishing Alaskan rainbows with mice and going for salmon. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. These Ask a Pro segments are a quick way to drill into a specific content topic for a specific fishery with a specific goal in mind. That's that's hard to, to spit out. To get you ready for the next big trip, I know Alaska is one of the big bucket list trips I hear from a lot of people out there, so Adam is going to break this down even further today. Mousing for rainbows and everything around your next trip to the remote Alaskan wilderness. Here he is. Here's Adam from fishhoundexpeditions.com. How's it going, Adam? Doing good. Yourself, Dave? Good. Good. I'm excited to uh, hear more about the uh, the trip stuff you have going. I know you have some stuff starting up here right now. We're, we're actually early. We're spring, um, but you're getting ready to get going like May and June and uh, for these trips. So I want to dig into like a little gear list of what to expect. But before we do that, just give a little summary for those that maybe missed the last episode we did. Talk about uh, who you are and what you do out there. Yeah, uh, my name's Adam Cuthrell. I own a guide service up in Alaska named Fishhound Expeditions. Uh, we do all sorts of trip, everything from half-day walking wades in the greater Matsu Valley, uh, day heli fishing trips, multi-day heli fishing trips, which actually, Dave, you're going to be coming on this fall. Super pumped for that. Uh, we also do six to 10 day trips, uh, remote float trips in Western Alaska. And then we do uh, steelhead trips on Kodiak Island during the month of October. That's it. So chasing fins as much as possible. That's it. Yeah, you got it. You got it covered. You got the basically, yeah, and even down to the Kodiak. That's the one, you know, I mean, it, it even gets you out there further. So your trips you're doing, are, are they all around Alaska or are they focused on kind of a, a region? Uh, they're in South Central and Western Alaska. The heli fishing that we do uh, is based in South Central. We have a few different rivers that we operate on. And then the stuff that we do in Western Alaska, we operate out of Bethel and Gain Rivers, access to all those rivers out there that flow into the Bering Sea. That's right. And I've been up there a long time ago to that area, the uh, the Queethlik, which is the the giant river, right? Or is it? No, it's the yep. Cus- the Kuskokwim is the giant river. The Queethlik flows into the Kuskokwim. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big river. Yeah. And cool. So, it is. yeah. So we're going to talk just generally here for somebody who's maybe planning for a trip to Alaska or maybe able to go on this trip we're, we're putting together. I want to talk about the gear list. So if that person's getting ready, is this pretty standard uh, as far as what they need or is there some special things when they're focusing on Alaska? You know, fishing in Alaska is a little different. When I first moved here over a decade ago, I'm from Colorado and in the lower 48 in the Rockies, you fish bugs and you predominantly fish a five weight and uh, you use tippets and when i came up here i went to a great local fly shop and i was like hey guys you know what size tippets what sort of bugs should i start throwing and the guy just kind of looked at me and laughed because you're not from around here are you <laughs> no no i'm not <laughs> um our fish very rarely eat bugs up here five weights way too light so we're generally fishing six or seven or eight rods you know, generally just a little faster action rods because up here we predominantly fish single fly and it's a big fly, whether it be a big streamer or a mouse or a big bead rig. Um, and we don't fish tippets. We fish leader material. And generally the lightest leader material I use will be eight to 10 pound maxima. Our fish really are not leader shy. 
uh, for the most part, throwing just a, as we call them, a bro leader, uh, 20 pound maxima tied down to 15, 10 or 12. And, uh, you know, single big streamer, big mouse, big bead rig. And, and that's predominantly what we're throwing. And generally, like I said, heavier weight rods. And heavy rods. And then on that eight to pound, and how long is that? Are we talking a, like a three, four foot leader? Or is this longer than that? A little longer, not too, not too long. You definitely don't, for most situations, you don't really need a nine foot long leader for the most part. They're about seven feet long. Yeah. Seven feet. So seven feet long and you got your eight pound or 10 pound tippet on the end of, uh, you know, basically a thick, um, and is Maxima, I know there's lots of, uh, Maxima is what I use. I know they've got like chameleon. It doesn't matter what you get there, ultra green, stuff like that. You know, I, I don't really think so, but most of us use the ultra green. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, ultra. yeah. And every once in a blue moon for some steelhead stuff in the spring, we'll occasionally need to go for some fluoro, but for the most part, it's straight mono. Straight mono, straight mono. And then, and, and so, and then you got the, so you got the fly. So what would be a selection if we were going to be putting together for this trip, say the fall, um, you know, just to cover us, what, what would be a good selection of flies? Yeah. So you definitely want to have some good streamers, big articulated ones, you know, kind of the new go-to gold standard Alaskan streamer is the Dalai Lama in a variety of colors, variety of colors, you know, black and white, olive and white, black and olive. Uh, that Dalai Lama really imitates all sorts of stuff that our trout eat. They imitate lampreys. They look like smaller bait fish, like sculpins. If you're just swinging them, they can look like flesh in the right colorways. So the Dalai Lama is kind of a gold standard go-to. And that fly will catch anything that swims in Alaska, whether it be trout, grayling, dollies, char, silvers, kings, pinks. Mm. It catches them all. Uh, pretty unique fly in that way. And also, we generally don't fleet unless we're swinging, you know, spay rod or switch rod. Uh, we generally just use floating line. You know, we're a big fan. You know, honestly, Dave, as I'm sure you know, yeah. in the industry, the fly line innovations over the last five to seven years have just been so incredible and really make fishing a lot easier. You're turning over heavy flies, heavy rigs, whether that's on a two-handed rod or a single-handed rod. And I'm a big fan of uh, Rio and OPST lines. They just have that heavier grain weight at the end that just turns those big flies over and also shoot out large amounts of line with a single roll cast or overhand cast. So line selection, I think is paramount in addition, you know, to having the right rod, the right gear, but if you could have, honestly, you could have a not so good rod and have really good line on it and it fishes well, where if you had a really good rod and not so good line, you're not going to feel the effect of that rod. So I right. think line selection these days, especially for Alaska or anywhere where you're turning over big flies, is is super important. Yeah, that's key. That's awesome. So on the line, what would be if somebody's just going to go grab a Rio? Is there a, a certain line? Is this we're talking like literally a weight forward floating uh, six, uh, eight weight? Or uh, the outbound pro. Uh, sorry, the outbound short is the line that we've been using for the last handful of years. It's got a really fat, heavy head, got good integrated running line, and it just turns flies over and just launches these flies uh, that we use up here very, very, very well. Cool. Okay. So the outbound short, and I'm and, and so we're, yeah, we're talking six, seven weight. And uh, and then and I know we talked about, I'll put a link in the show notes to the episode we did earlier uh, on more of a full episode as far as the techniques and stuff. But give us a little summary there as far as, you know, we're talking single hand rods or guys also kind of bringing up the spay sort of like a trout spay stuff. Yeah. Well, kind of trout spay, kind of just traditional 
steelhead salmon spay or the shorter, you know, as we talked in the last episodes, you know, I'm a big fan, you know, of the shorter two-handed rods out there these days with the heavier skagit lines. So you can load up and shoot out a large amount of line without having a ton of back cast. Um, so we get guys doing that. I mean, my personal favorite way we were talking earlier about flies is, is mousing. And some guys like mousing on a two-handed rod. I, it's fun, but I think you can have just a little bit more action on a, a single hand rod. Um, you know, I fish a nine, six, six weight or nine, six, seven weight, just having that extra length, just help you let you help dance that mouse a uh, little bit better across the surface. And also mouse flies, the Rio pipsqueak is an amazing mouse fly. It floats high. You never have to dress it floats like a cork. It'll have teeth marks all in the top of it in the foam and it still works. And it also has an articulated hook and that very much helps with fish mortality. You know, there's a lot of traditional shanked mouse patterns out there that look cool, work great. Um, and not to geek out too much about it, but this oh, yeah. is a fishing podcast. So Go for geek it. Out. Yeah, geek but out. Having those articulated hooks greatly helps in fish mortality. You know, that's why we fish beads up here. So when a trout eats a mouse, eats a bead, it inhales it. And by having that articulated hook, nine times out of 10, it's going to get on the outside of the mouth. Whereas if you're fishing a traditional shanked hook and you got a mouse and that fish just comes up, I mean, watching a two foot trout eat a small mammal on the surface is a thing of beauty God. and it is aggressive. What does that look like? So, so for somebody who's never seen it uh, eat a mammal. Like a brick hit, it's, like a, it's like a brick hitting the water. I mean, it's not, I mean, I do miss watching a sexy trout come up and sip a mayfly. Right. When a trout eats a mouse, I mean, it's just aggressiveness, just sheer, <laughs> sheer aggression. It's amazing, man. You're going to love it. Uh, but because they hit it so hard, you know, having that traditional shanked hook, they, it, they get gilled. And I mean, one of the saddest moments of mm. my life guiding uh, occurred out west some years ago and there's this one little back uh slew that i called bass grass bait it was this bass grass braid it was this new channel that got formed flowing right through the grass but it was this big rainbow's home we caught this fish he was probably 26 27 i was guessing i mean we caught him on like five different trips like he was always in this one pool and it was great and the last trip of the season out there the clients fishing and this is kind of before a lot of the articulated mouse patterns had come out and he ate this mouse and he, I mean, just killed him. And I worked there for half an hour trying to revive him, get him going, get him going. And he kind of swam off and I was like, oh, okay, I think he made it. And we get back in the boat, hop into the main channel and where that braid dumped in, see this trout belly up and mm. I stopped and I netted him, worked him again for another half hour. And he just he yeah. died and I was damn near in tears. Uh, but we taped him. He was 28. Jeez. And yeah, monster, beautiful fish, beautiful fish was sad to see go. But after that, uh, I strictly fish articulated mouse flies because like I said, it gets them on the outside of the mouth. You may miss some more strikes, but honestly, it's not worth killing a big, beautiful rainbow like that. And watching a pit of mouse is half the fun. Cause like I said, it's just sheer aggression. And up here, the crazy thing too, is if they miss, they'll generally hit it again, oh, even if wow. they taste metal. They will hit it again. It's it's awesome. No kidding. So if you get a fish, so if you're on a fish and he misses it, you literally put the cast right back to the same oh, spot. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Just throw it right back out. He'll he'll eat it again. I've seen it happen countless times. It's awesome. There you go. Okay, that's perfect. So so we got the line. We got all this in the lines. And like you're saying, we you literally don't need a any sinking tips or any of that stuff up here. 
for single hand fishing on the rivers that we operate on, you don't need sink tips, you know, for swinging. Yes. We'll use tips to get down just a little bit d- deeper because we're, you know, traditionally quarter cast swinging through, you know, um, but on the single hand stuff, nope, you do just floating line. If you want to get down a little deeper, throw in a little bit of split shot, um, which I personally am a big fan of. Cause if you put the split shot about six to eight inches above the fly, it really helps that fly drop and get that vertical up and down movement, as opposed to just a steady sink where you get that belly in your line and your fly will actually be up higher. Gotcha. So that's a good tip. So basically you got your maybe six inches or so above your fly, you put a little split, uh, just yep. to get it down and that really will get it down quickly right down. And is the yep. zone for these, when you're trying to get it down, is that zone kind of a foot off the bottom or is that, or is there a zone you're going for? You know, it kind of depends on what you're trying to imitate. You know, the lampreys that are in our system, which are gnarly looking alien things. They're so Mm -hmm. cool. Uh, They can be up high in the water column. If they're dead, they're down lower in the water column. You know, if you're using a streamer to imitate a smaller bait fish or salmon fry, you want it to be up higher in the water column. It just kind of depends, you know, our version of matching the hatch. If you're, you know, imitating smolt early in the season, for smaller bait fish late in the season, those tend to be up higher in the water column. Whereas you're, if you're imitating sculpins, those definitely move on the bottom. So they're more on the bottom part of the water column. So it just kind of depends what you're trying to imitate. Okay, good. So, and, and just looking again, you mentioned, so we got flies, we got lines, rot, what, and species wise, we're going to talk about this probably on another episode, but for, for what we have going up here in that fall, in that September period, we're talking rainbows, but are we also going to be potentially have an option at some other f- fish up there? Yes, definitely. We got uh, our native leopard rainbow trout. We have Arctic grayling and we have Dolly Varden. And then in the fall, we have silver salmon, aka cohos. And then in the fall, there's generally some lingering zombie uh, chum salmon around as well. And chum, yep. gotcha. So, so silvers will be an opera like up there. You're definitely going to bail. And silvers are cool because you can you can strip flies in right, and they'll chase them. Oh yeah. So silvers, they're you know they're probably one of my favorite salmon species to fish for just because they're so aggressive. You know, to me, when a king or a steelhead hits a fly, it's generally curious. It's like, ooh, sparkle, what, what's that? And they just come up and they grab it. When a silver hits a fly, it's just pissed. It's just sheer aggression. Just, and they yeah. just nail it. Um, <laughs> so we fish a lot of big, you know, brightly colored Dalai Lamas again, pinks and purples, pinks. Um, and then our favorite way to fish for them, uh, is poppers. We use the bass pink surface poppers and you plop that out there and it makes that popping noise and they just hate it. You'll just see this weight come barreling in behind it and just crush it on the surface. That's sweet. That's sweet. Cool. So, so this is, you're painting a good picture of what this is about because obviously, I mean, I've been up to Alaska, it's been a while, but it's, it's an amazing place, not only for the fish, but just everything, right? It's Alaska, but you know, the, the, the what you're talking about here is pretty amazing. And, and we have this, we're going to talk more about this, but this giveaway that we're, we have going, which is going to be really cool. And since, you know, I'm going to be up there, it'll be a chance for me to, you know, obviously share more of my experiences as, as we get going. Um, on this, but, um, but for right now, I just want to keep on this gear list. So we got the rods, we got the flies, we got, I mean, real, obviously real. Do you need a, is a drag important up here? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like a saltwater drag system where you really need heavy stopping power. Uh, but having a good drag system is 
pretty important, you know, again, back to the trout and fish mortality and for the salmon too, we want them to procreate, you know, fishing heavier line, having a good drag system will allow you to get those fish in quicker so you can release them quicker so you can catch more so those fish will live so that my daughter can come back and catch them down the road. Uh, so having a good drag system is a good thing. And also in Alaska with just all the rain and the grit and, you know, doing these style float trips, you know, having a sealed drag system or just a really strong drag system is good. It'll just help with the longevity. Yeah, that's right. So drag's key. All right. So we got that off and then let's go into just some other general gear. So we got the fish, some of the fishing stuff here. What else does somebody need to bring? Let's just get into some of this. Like, are we talking uh, like obviously a good pair of waders, but just run down a little list here. So, good rain jacket, you know, you're, you're down in the Northwest, you know what it's like, uh, with rain. Uh, but folks from the Rockies, you know, where it may rain a little bit in the afternoon, a couple of days a week, and you have a light packable rain jacket, that's fine down there, but that's nothing for up here. You got to have good, 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 durable Gore-Tex. Um, you know, or we talked last time, you know, just the old school Grundon's rubber jacket, you know, if you're just on a boat and you're not hiking much and it's just pelting down rain, having a, a rubber jacket like that will keep you dry if you're not sweating that much. Uh, but honestly, the new, the new Gore-Tex Pro, I mean, from my hunting jacket to my fishing jackets to my backcountry jackets, uh, that Gore-Tex, that new Gore-Tex Pro is pretty awesome stuff and it can take a lick in and keep working. Good rain jacket, clutch. Um, also, you know, we talked last time, the two B's people always ask about bears and bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a good head net, you know, costs five bucks at a sporting goods store. You more than likely won't need it, but that 20% of the time <clears throat> you're glad you had that. So that's kind of, you know, a good piece of equipment to have that isn't in most people's pack list for their normal fishing excursions, but good rain jacket, bug head net, uh, Fingerless gloves are good as well. Just be help your hands stay protected, but also keep bugs off. Uh, also a good thing. Um, and they also keep you warm because it does rain up here, as we've been mentioning. Yeah, that's perfect. And then what was that jacket again? The, the Gore-Tex Pro? Yeah, Gore-Tex Pro. There's a bunch of manufacturers out there. You know, oh, yeah. Sims. The, you know, yeah, uh, just Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex. Just having a good yep. salt. Oh, yep. gotcha. So this is a new, like, a new type of Gore-Tex that's just kind of yep. another level. Yep, yep. Perfect. And perfect. a three or four layer Gore-Tex Pro jacket is, they're, they're pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And then just to round this out, I mean, the, the typical stuff like, you know, base layer, you got your fleece, you know, don't, don't wear cotton, wear good. Uh, you know, I, I love a hoodie, a hoodie. I see those guys up on like the deadliest catch, right? I don't even know. I'm not sure if that, if that show's even going, but the hoodie is like so key, you know, it's for, I don't yep. know why do you got, I mean, you probably work the hoodie too, but it keeps kind of your back of your head, neck warm and you throw a hood, you throw a Gore-Tex over that and you're, you're, you're good to go. Right. Oh yeah. Waiters. Yep. 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 You know, I'm a big fan of Merino layers. They stay warm when they're wet. You can wear them multiple days and they don't get as sticky as some of the, as the poly pro stuff. So I'm a big fan of Merino. Also there's companies out there, Patagonia Sims. They have the, um, you know, kind of the fake down, uh, oh, yeah. insulated pants. Those things are awesome. Oh, you can cool. Eat water. Yep. Swinging flies all day, working mouse patterns all day and stay nice and warm oh, down there. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So those are good. And there's a couple different socks out there now. Um, there's one called seal socks. Um, and it's like a heavier duty sock and it really helps maintain warmth in your feet. And they even actually have uh, rechargeable USB heated socks. So people always, oh, my feet get cold. Well, there's, there's gear out there that can help your feet stay warm. That's right. And is that a, is the water pretty cool? Is that something, a constant uh, thing if you're standing out there in the water? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, up here in the fall, our average water temperature is around 42, 45 degrees, uh, which is great habitat for trout and salmon. But yeah, if you're not if you're not used to standing in it all day, it can get chilly. So having good gear, you know, like you're saying, the base layer, good socks, um, you know, the insulated pants, uh, preferably a merino layer up top, the hoodie like you were talking about, and definitely not cotton. There's lots of companies out there that are making technical hoodies, you know, that are either merino or poly, a blend got your hood up, got your polarized glasses on, got your hat on, Gore-Tex wrapped around that, and then you got your bug head net in your pocket in case you need that, and then, like I said, good fingerless gloves to stay warm. And wool, right? Do you work the, well, I, I usually work the wool fingerless gloves, that, but yeah, that's yep. good. Perfect. Okay, so that lines out the clothing, and I think that's just standard, for. but for folks that maybe live in the, the warmer environments, they might not be thinking about this, so I want to make sure that people are dialed in. Now, what else are we looking at here? We got um, maybe some kind of miscellaneous stuff that, that we should throw in there. This could be, say, um, you know, like knives, cameras, headlamps. I mean, is any of that stuff required on this? Like, if somebody was coming up on this trip, would they need to think about all this? Uh, well, you should always have a pocket knife. I mean, that's just, you know. Yep. That's just, yeah, you should always have a pocket life, should always have a lighter uh, that stays dry, you know, just just in case, you know, but on these trips, you know, you're going with guides. So they have that stuff backed up three, four, five and six times over. Uh, redundancy is a good plan up here. Uh, but kind of miscellaneous items, like I said, the little bug head net, somebody like, oh, I won't need it. It's like, man, yep. <laughs> 80% of the time, you're right. You will stay in the packaging, but that other 20% of the time, you definitely want to have that. Um, other than that, good miscellaneous gear um, for, for, you know, back to the gear for split shot. A lot of us up here, we use the water gremlin because it's got the little wings so you can take it on, take it off. You know, I remember back in Colorado, you always had just the real small BBs and was a pain in the mm. ass to get off because you didn't really take them off up here. You'll be mousing. Won't need it. Then you need to tie on a Dalai Lama, get down deeper, have a water gremlin, and just having those that pinch on, pinch off, put it in your pocket so you can reuse it. Um, those are some good miscellaneous items to have. And this is the water gremlin. This is this is split shot. Yep. Yep. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, and I'll try to do my best to put some links in the show notes to some of this stuff. So, and then, well, I guess it'd be different, obviously, if somebody was doing a uh, you know a DIY trip versus doing a trip like what you're doing here, where yeah. you guys have everything, and literally it's your personal stuff. You're not going to need necessarily a you know a GPS. Uh, I mean, waiting staff might be some. Is that a is that a helpful item to have here? Depending on one's physical ability, yes, yes, it's good. You know, folks who have either mobility issues, you know, even younger folks who slip on rocks and are more likely to go for a swim, you know, having that extra point of contact to help you get you down, get you across so you're not taking a swim yep. in 40 degree water when it's rainy and cold uh, would be a very good idea. Yeah. And and that a good tip there might be to always have a, you know, backup clothes, right? Like, so have one set. Is that, on this trip, is there going to be plenty of room? Like, should a person be bringing one Patagonia, like, waterproof bag and get everything in a little bag? Or how's that look for gear? Um, so on our guided trips, we provide dry bags. We have, you know, the NRS, the big Bills bag yep. that a small human could fit into. Yeah. Those are like 110 liter bags. They're monsters. So we'll have guides, uh, you know, guests, sorry, have all their gear in one of those big bills bag. And then we also give you a smaller 35 liter, like personal dry bag, which you can put an extra layer in extra hat, oh, extra cool. jacket, you know, so your big bags are packed away. 
And then you have your smaller personal dry bag right by you. So if you've got your camera or an extra hat or an extra glove or beanie, whatever, it's right there. It's accessible. And then, you know, God forbid, if someone does go in the drink, everything stops. We pull over, we get clothes out, we get get a fire going, we get you dry, we get you changed. Uh, so you're comfortable. I'll do it there. And and I love the Bills bag because that was a, we had an episode a while back on, with NRS and uh, and the guest there told the Bills story. I'm not sure if you heard about that story about the founder of NRS. No. Yeah, no. it's really interesting. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's a really yeah. cool story because Bill, uh, you know, essentially built this company, he founded it, built it up to like a $50 million company or whatever it was, hundred million. And instead of just selling it off, which he could have, you know, just sold it for the most money, he actually gave it back to all of his employees. I did know they were employee owned. They are an awesome company. I can't say enough good things about NRS and all the folks there, especially with all this supply chain nightmare that's, that's going on in the mm-hmm. industry. They've been very helpful in get, getting businesses like mine staying going. Yeah, definitely. So shout out to NRS. They obviously are, are leading out there. And and uh, yeah, so I think we're good. I think we've covered some general. I'll also put a link. I've got a little uh, blog post I did a while back kind of focused on winter steelhead gear. Uh, and it covers a lot of this stuff. It's a little bit different, obviously, for steelhead. But I mean, like we're saying, these species, it's the same species, right? We're talking about here when we're talking about rainbows. So and, and the weather is similar up in the fall, although you can get yep. what really nice days up there and really kind of nasty days. Yeah, September, you know, last year was a little bit different, but generally September is one of our drier months compared to August. Uh, We'll generally have a nice bit of Indian summer going on, you know, during the days. It'll be low 60s, sunny, beautiful, and then it can get chilly in the morning. We definitely, last year we did get some snow mid-September and it stuck for a little bit longer than it had in years past. But for the most part, you know, a 30 degree sleeping bag is more than appropriate to keep you warm and cozy during that time of year. Yeah. So so that's another question. So on the sleeping bag, we didn't dig into that, but is that something for this trip you'll want to bring your own tent, your own sleeping bag, your own pillow? (laughs) Uh, you will want to bring your own sleeping bag because a sleeping bag is like underwear. You don't yep. want to share that no. with the rest of the world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yep, bring your own own sleeping bag. You know, most guys will just use extra clothes. But if you want a small camp pillow to keep your head cozy, Dave, you're more than welcome to bring one. <laughs> That's right. I got a good uh, one. We, yep. But we provide all the tents, all the cots, all the pads, all the dry bags. Oh, nice. Everything. Nice and everything. Yep. Okay. So basically, I mean, we probably covered most of it. We probably missed a few things. Is there any, maybe just before we get out of here, did, what what did we miss then? Is there a We missed we, beads. Yeah. We missed uh, bead selection to, oh, imitate, yeah. uh, to imitate the salmon eggs. You know, that's our Alaskan version of mac- matching the hatch. Chum eggs, king eggs are, are, are bigger. We'll use eight to 10 millimeter beads for those. Uh, the pinks, uh, we'll use smaller, you know, six and eight and just in a variety of colors. You know, when those eggs are first laid, they're very bright. And as they either die or get buried in the rocks, they will change shade and hue. And we used to have to paint beads back in the day. You know, we'd just go buy craft beads at any craft store and have to paint on them ourselves. Now there's really good bead manufacturers out there. You know, there's some up here in Alaska. South Central Bead Company makes some great already textured beads. Um, Trout beads also make some good stuff. But just having beads in a variety of sizes and colors and good, strong hooks. I personally prefer owner hooks. Yep. They're very, very sharp. They hold up. They don't straighten out. Um, so having good beads and good hooks. And then also a lot of people will either tie nail knots uh, or use toothpicks. That's what we used to have to do. But there's now companies out there making pegs. Um, mm. and they're a silicone-looking toothpick. And that way you can slide that through. And then if you want to reuse your bead, you just take a hook point. You can pull that 
uh, peg out and you're able to reuse your bead. That's it. And I know the bead, I've got boxes and boxes of different colored beads because oh, I went yeah. through, yeah, I went through a period with steelhead and I was doing a lot of beads mixing in with glow bugs. And, and so is there these beads, where would you go to pick up if you want to get a selection of beads? You know, a lot of the major fly shops down in the lower 48, I've been told, are starting to get more into the, the bead game. So I think they're pretty, I know down in your part of the country, any fly shop is going to have a variety of beads. Yeah. Uh, but there's always the old Google machine. Like I said, there's a company up here in Alaska called South Central Bead Company uh, that makes great beads um, and you can get them online. Perfect. Okay, good. Well, I think we'll leave it there for now. These are going to be our show, uh, short kind of uh, Ask a Pro uh, series, and we're going to dig into, I think, on the next one, into some more of the fishing, actually taking it to the water. So this is a, a good start to this, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of uh, keep this this rolling and, and until the next episode. Adam, thanks uh, for shedding some light on, on the gear, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. So there it is wetflyswing.com slash fish alaska for uh, some of the links anything else anything we talked about here you can head over to fish alaska that'd be a good chance to dig into more of this information we've also got a link out to an episode that we did with adam a while back and we got a few more of these to come as we build up to that uh that midsummer mid to uh actually it's more of a mid to late summer i guess uh, trip uh, we're going to be uh, doing a few more of these to kind of get things uh, keyed up. And we've got a giveaway coming as well. We haven't really dug into that, but that's another big thing we have coming uh, this summer. So stay tuned for that. If you have an idea for a topic for Ask a Pro, uh, if you'd like to, us to dig into something, if you're having a struggle out there, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's around casting, fly tying, whatever it is. If you got something specific that you want us to dig into in about 20 minutes for these short these shorter episodes, and maybe you might even have a pro uh, that we could check in with. Give me an email, Dave at wetflyswing.com, or check me in on social, and uh, and we'll check in with you there and see if we can put it together. And I can almost guarantee you that we can put that together if you check in. We're we're doubling down on the content here this year, and we are going to keep it rolling. Stay tuned for the next one. If you get a chance uh, between now and then, give Adam a call. Ping him. Let him know you heard about this episode. Let him know that you're you're excited uh, for that Alaska trip. And 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 we got some stuff coming not only this year, but if we if we hear enough uh, buzz around this, and if uh, you know Adam gets enough calls, if I'm hearing from people, um, we're definitely going to probably put together another trip next year as well. So I hope you can get on it this year and get going. And um, and maybe maybe we'll see you on the water. Uh, maybe we'll see you online. And I hope you have a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Thanks for the support, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.